Now, you understand that was all said tongue-in-cheek, right? I do not believe that video for a moment. But I want you to see it. Because every day we let the idols of this world dictate what we do and how we do it. And money and greed off consume us. We love having it. We hate it when we have to give it up. If we're honest, we have to admit that we too frequently put our love of money before our love of God. So, inspired by the best-selling video which you have seen before, That's My King, this convicting piece imagines what it would sound like if someone were to actually preach passionately about their idol, money. Hmm. Putting that that way, worshiping money sounds rather ridiculous, doesn't it? Who would have ever thought that having money would be a problem? Who would have ever thought that if you had lots of money, that would bring more trouble to your life? Most of us think of money as a solution, not as a problem. But do you remember the story of King Midas? According to legend, Bacchus, the Roman god of wine, once offered King Midas his choice of gifts. And Midas asked that whatever he might touch would change to gold. Bacchus consented, though he was sorry that Midas did not make a wiser choice. Midas went on his way rejoicing in his newly acquired power and quickly put it to the test. He picked up an ordinary twig and it became a golden stick in his hand. He took up a stone and it changed to a golden rock. He took an apple from a tree and you would have thought he had robbed the garden of the gods. So Midas went on his way rejoicing. His joy knew no bounds. He asked for his people, his servants, to set out a splendid feast on the banquet table. But when he sat down, he found to the dismay that when he touched the bread, it hardened in his hand. And when he put a bit to his lips, it defied his teeth. And when he took a glass of wine, it flowed down his throat like melted gold. Fearing starvation, Midas held up his arms to his God, Bacchus, and begged him to take back his gift. Bacchus replied, Go to the river Pactolus, trace a stream to its fountainhead. There plunge your head and body in and wash away your fault and its punishment. And Midas did that and was cured. Thus Midas learned to hate wealth and splendor. Well, as we continue our Life App series this morning, we turn to the subject of money, specifically getting right on the use of our money. James' tone throughout this letter has been a tone of encouragement. It's been helpful. It's been like coming alongside us and saying, you know, if you saw it this way, if you did it this way, your life would be so much better. But suddenly, here his tone turns harsh, almost vengeful. In our text this morning, he sounds like one of the Jewish prophets of old who were taking wicked leaders and other people to task. Is James speaking to the same audience he's been writing to all the way through this letter? Or has he suddenly shifted to someone else, to someone outside the letter, outside the church, to those people who have exploded, exploited and abused people inside the church? Let's see what you think. James 5 1 through 6. Follow along. 
Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. Now I'm convinced that James is not writing to the same people he was writing to previously in this letter. Now he wants them to hear it, but he's not speaking to them. He's speaking to someone else, to the rich people outside the church, outside the body of believers, who probably would never hear these words, actually. So this message must be for the benefit of those reading the letter, and yet it is not words that are addressed to us, but to someone else, yet for our benefit. There are two parts to this message. If you look through these verses, first six verses of chapter 5, first of all, in the first three verses, there is a warning, a warning about the judgment that is to come for those who live life as he describes. Look what will happen to your riches and what they will do for you or do against you, those very things that you've put so much value and confidence in. And it was spoken in terms like the Old Testament prophet, like something had already happened. He says, look, this is what's happened. Your wealth is rotted. Your fine clothes have, have become moth -eaten. Your gold and silver are tarnished and ugly. And when the last days come, you will be found hoarding your wealth, which cannot save you. And the second part of James' message is in verses 4 through 6. And it gives them the cause for this terrible judgment, this, these terrible consequences what the, the rich had done to other people for which they were condemned by Almighty God. You failed to pay your workers, and they cry out to God for justice. Your harvesters have been denied their wages. You have lived a, a lifestyle of self-indulgence and extravagance, and you've even had upright, God-fearing men in prison, and some killed because they got in your way even though they were really not trying to oppose you the rich people that James is addressing here are people that have victimized others in this world we would be able to come up with a list pretty quickly of people like this people that have fought only themselves who have become very very wealthy at the expense of someone else but these words are not directed to the, the normal people that are receiving the rest of this letter because usually the Christians in that day were the poorer people of the Roman Empire. Believers were generally being exploited. They were the ones on the receiving end of what these people had done. And we know that, that even back in chapter 2, when James was writing about the foolishness of favoritism, he asked his readers this question, Now why do you favor the rich? Aren't they the very ones who usually take advantage of you? It doesn't make any sense for you to favor them when they come into your assembly if such a thing should happen. And yet that's what we do. We suck up to the rich. And we mistreat the poor ourselves. So it's obviously not those people he's writing to here when he says, you rich people. They're not the people in the congregation. The Asbury Bible Commentary summarizes this passage in this way. 
like an Old Testament prophet, James lashes out at the injustice of the rich. Sadistically, they have withheld pay from their workers, leaving them hungry and in want. But they have reveled and they have uh, caroused in disgusting self-indulgence. And the terminology James uses suggests sheep frisking about in rich pastures, well-fed and growing fat, unknown to them, the day is approaching when they will be slaughtered. So also is the destiny of the sensate, insensitive, successful businessmen. So why did James suddenly interject in his letter of encouragement and practical words from God this vehement condemnation of the rich who have taken advantage of everyone else? Well, first, I think he wanted to encourage those who are being taken advantage of, those who are being hurt, those who are suffering the injustices, that someday God would make things right. Hang in there, because someday God is going to set the record straight. God is going to, to pay back those who have hurt you, and he'll take care of that. It's not for you to worry about. Next week, we're going to be talking about that, being patient until God set things right sometimes that's very difficult. So James wants to address that next. Secondly, I think, however, he's trying to warn his fellow believers to be careful that none of these worldly, selfish, self-indulgent behaviors could be true in their lives. Because if they do become true, then we too would suffer the same painful, devastating consequences. So what I want to try and do from this passage is, is, is make three points and then for us to try and apply this somehow to our life. First point is this, that worldly wealth is not where it's at. Worldly wealth is a trap. If you think that that's what life is about, you are mistaken. It makes many promises, but none of them are quite what they are cracked up to be. All of them fall short of happiness and satisfaction. Now, this doesn't mean you can't be wealthy and still be a follower of God. Some people have lots of money just because they're a hard worker or because God has blessed them in certain ways materially. So you can't just say, well, if you're wealthy, you're a bad person. But what happens is that sometimes that wealth is, is gained in the backs of someone else or gained through injustices and taking advantage of someone else. Only foolish, short-sighted people make money their God. They hope like Midas that everything they touch will turn to gold. But if it does, they're often less than satisfied. God wants to know that it is utter foolishness to love money, to make money your idol. 1 Timothy 6.10, write that first down. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith, and have pierced themselves with many griefs. So, if you're going to make this your God, it's a big mistake. Although the world is constantly pushing this one on us, wanting us to make money and material possessions our God. Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money choice must be made. So that's the first point. Worldly wealth is a trap. Secondly, judgment is coming. And that's true for all of us. Eventually, God is going to sort things out. Eventually, God is going to give us what we deserve. 
And those who have taken advantage and hurt other people will pay for that one day. This is a consistent theme in the Old Testament that God is going to someday have a day of reckoning. And beyond that is a theme that God takes up for the poor. God takes up for those who have been abused and hurt by someone else. God looks out for the poor. God's people are to do the same thing. The resources that we have been given by God are not just for us. Sometimes we really miss that as Americans. Sometimes we think, you know, God has blessed my life. God has brought me a nice home. He's brought me a nice car. He's brought me a nice family. Or he's brought me all these things that are part of this physical world we're enjoying for now. And it's for me to enjoy. Well, you will enjoy a lot of that, but it's not just for you. God has a reason that he's blessing you so that you can bless someone else. The resources we have been given are meant to be shared. Selfishness and greed will be punished because judgment is coming. So remember that. Even if you want to pronounce judgment on someone else, remember that you too will stand before God and answer for how you live your life. Thankfully, we have Jesus to stand with us if we believe in him. And that makes the difference. The third thing I want to point out from what James says is that we need to get our hearts right on the money. So that's why I chose the topic I did, the title. We need to see money and material things of this world the same way that God does. Money is not the goal. Money is not our God. And having money, even lots of money, doesn't mean success. It doesn't guarantee happiness. And how we get and use our money are very big issues to God. So let's get into this. We said earlier that James addressed this part of his letter to the rich who are unjust toward others and only interested in themselves. And so we've got them on the outside of the church, and, and James is kind of blasting them from inside the church and say, isn't it terrible what all these people have done? But what happens if the prideful rich that James is speaking against are now people in the church. Now believers in the church. That the prideful rich he's talking about and the believers are one and the same. What happens when we have reached that point? In James's day, the first century, most of the believers were very poor. They were the slaves. They were the servants. They were the underlings. And they were being taken advantage of. So they could sit there and they could say, well, that's not us. We can't even imagine that ever happened to us. Now, they could still have some wrong attitudes that need to be corrected, and probably did. But now we have a new situation. We're often in the church, some of the richest people go to church. Some of the people who have been blessed the most materially are part of this congregation and other congregations like it. What if the prideful rich and the believers are one and the same? What if they are you and me. Then James's words are not for someone else, but become a shocking warning to us to check our lives, to never trust in worldly wealth, but only in God. So I want to try to encourage you to just take a few minutes to think, maybe these words have something to say to me, not just to someone else. Now, I know this is a message we really don't want to hear. And I would approach it maybe like you would if you're approaching a friend that has a problem and you're going to confront them about it. Uh, you know, and I ask you, how would you approach them? What, what would you say to them? 
How would you approach a friend who has a bad habit in order to confront them about that habit and to hold them accountable for that habit? Let's say a friend who always drinks too much once the drinking starts, you know? You're just having a couple beers together, but they never stop there. And it goes to be too much, and it's, it's excessive, and it's a very big problem for their life, and you as their friend need to say something. What would you do? How would you approach them? Well, let's say that you have a friend who often overeats, and they eat to excess, and, and they're ruining their health because they're constantly eating. They're eating way too much, much more than they need. And, and you need to somehow confront them and say, look what you're doing to yourself. Or maybe you have a dishonest co-worker who frequently cuts corners and lies in order to make the sale, you know, and, and it's, this is not right. I've got to stop this. I've got to talk to him or her about that. Or maybe a person that, that you discover is cheating on their husband or wife, you know, they've got an affair going on and, and you've become aware of it and you've got to stop that. How would you approach them? And that, in a way, is my unsavory task this morning but it is something we must do. Let, let's, let's do this together. Let's think about where we are and how we view our money and our material things. Even though our income is much lower than people we would classify as rich or super rich, we may still have significant problems with money and our use of it. The average American Christian's charitable giving is only 2 to 3% of their annual income. There's an example. Now, if it's 2 to 3% on average, guess what? There's some people that are giving 10 or 20 or 30%. So that means there's some people giving one or less. Maybe nothing. Is that a problem? Obviously it is. Many of us have another problem financially. We live beyond our means. We get ourselves over our heads in debt, buying things that we don't even need. We want it, we think it's going to be a good thing for us, so we obligate ourselves to pay that thing off, and it becomes another burden that we're carrying around on our shoulders. Some of us have even resorted to dishonest, or at least unethical, means to get more money than we would if we stayed honest all the way through. You know, just let it slide a little bit. Let things happen just a little bit. Not as bad as someone else, but it's not quite right. The abuses and misuses of money and material possessions can occur at every level. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be in that upper 5%, you know. It could happen even to the poorest person or to the middle class person. The rich may exploit their workers and take advantage of them. But the middle class may abuse credit and build a mountain of debt they can't pay so that they can imitate the lives of the rich, I guess. And the poor can take advantage of the welfare system or the generosity of others, you know, and just use up everybody else around you. See, there can be a problem if we're looking at money or material things as our God, as the thing that we love, as the goal. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning, what is our attitude toward money and material things? Have we made them our goal, our God? How easily... We are, are duped. We are, are, are sucked into a lifestyle of wants and desires. I want to show you a commercial you've seen on TV lately. And uh, at the risk of putting this song in my head again, I'm going to show it to you. But I want to make a point. Okay, now I'm getting any no kickback from Xfinity for this, from Comcast. But 
I want you to think about that commercial because it's blasting our TV all the time. I think it came out during the Olympics. I don't know, but it seemed like it was on all the time. And once the tune is in your head, it's in your head. Sorry. You know, you're going to leave here with that tune instead of one of our worship tunes probably. But when it plays in your head, I want you to think about the message. Everything is awesome if you have Xfinity. If you have a higher speed. If you can download whatever you want. If you can view anything you want on your computer, your tablet, your phone. If you have this, your life is going to be awesome. This is the future of awesome. That's the message. Have you got it? You see what they're saying to us? They are trying to convince us that if you will spend that extra 150 or 200 a month to do that, your life will be awesome. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, it, it's absurd. But because we hear it playing all the time, we eventually believe it. We've got to have it. Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your home today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of everything, I will pay back four times that amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus' repentance was demonstrated in a powerful, practical way. If he had robbed or cheated anyone, he promised to repay them four times over. So here this morning, two questions. What do we need to repent of? What do you need to repent of? What do I? And what do we need to do to get our hearts right with God? My suggestion? Let's do that. Would you pray with me? Father, you have convicted our hearts today. You have shown us our own sinfulness, our own selfishness. You have shown us that even though it's easy to criticize the rich and powerful, we need to turn that criticism our own direction. We need to evaluate our own hearts. Our attitudes about money and material things are, are out, of, out of whack. They're, they're not the way you view them. We have made them the goal. We have made them our God in too many instances when you alone are God and you alone are awesome. Help us, Lord, to see things clearly and help us to repent. Help us to change our lifestyles so that you will be honored 
you will be glorified through the way we live. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name.